So this morning, we're going to talk about uh, the blood of Jesus. As you can tell from the songs that we sung and the scripture that I read in Hebrews 10, we're going to be talking about the, the blood of Jesus. And it's kind of a three-part series leading up to Easter Sunday. This morning, we're going to talk about the blood. Next week, Pastor Nate will speak about the cross. And then on Easter Sunday, we will speak about the reality of the resurrection. And so it's going to be a great three-part series. But before we get into that, I just kind of want to set the stage for this message I have a, a receipt here in my hand, and uh, the receipt says, City Court of Homa, 8046 Main Street, Homa, Louisiana. Who's ever been there before? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> and it says uh, that I paid something over there. It says, Benjamin Michael Buffin, speeding, 11 to 15 miles per hour. And it says, paid today. Isn't that crazy? Balance due. The due date was uh, April the 5th. And I went on Friday and I paid this. And uh, so when when I went, well, actually, they charged 3.5%. 183 is not enough. They're going to charge 3.5%. And I actually paid, just so you know, sweetheart, on the checking account, (laughs) 189.92 is the actual charge. And so when I went, now let me tell you before you guys think I can't preach God's word, I've lost credibility. Um, I was on Val High. You know, like Val High coming this direction, Rouse's is on the right. Not, not the new extension part, but the part that's 35 miles an hour. Mm. So going that direction. And I'm just, I don't even notice my speed. I'm going 46 miles an hour. 46 miles an hour feels slow, doesn't it? I'm just driving. I don't feel like I'm speeding. I'm just minding my own business. And all of a sudden, the, the cop turns on his lights. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what was I doing? I looked and I realized, oh, goodness, I was speeding. So I, it was an unintentional breaking of the law. <laughs> but I, and I didn't try to plead my case. I didn't try to argue with him. I mean, I, I was guilty. So when, when I go to pay this ticket on Friday, I go to the courthouse, the city court of Homa, and I bring my ticket. I give it to the clerk. And... I pay with my debit card. She hands me the ticket back. She said, oh, I forgot to do this. And she, she flipped the ticket over. And on the back of the ticket, it says, guilty or not guilty. She said, you need to make a plea. You need to make a plea. Are you guilty or not guilty? And so she said, circle one of them. So I said, well, I'm guilty. So I circled it. And I said, and I signed your name. And so it was paid in full. I paid my own debt. I paid it. I, I owed it. I was guilty. I was wrong. I had to pay for my sin, $183, to get a receipt that cleared my name. Now, hopefully it doesn't go on my record, stay on my record and uh, uh, cause my insurance to go up. But we'll have to deal with it. It, it will. Thank you, sister. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> God has been gracious, though, in my past. That This should be the only one on my record. <laughs> but... Um, and when I thought about that, we think we're talking about the blood of Jesus and what the blood of Jesus does. I thought about how all of us have, have a receipt of debt. All of us. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all means all. Romans 1, 2, and 3 paints a picture for us that all are guilty. Nobody passes go and collects $200 and gets to heaven until they acknowledge that they're guilty. In Romans 1, God declares, 
that there are people in this life that are going to look at the obvious reality that there's a God because of the complexities of creation and they're going to suppress that truth because of a desire to live unrighteously. And then in Romans 2, it talks about how there are people who are religious and they think by their religious devotion that that's going to earn them favor with God and they're going to be able to stand before a holy God because of their own merit and self-effort. And God says in Romans 2, you're guilty too. And then we get to Romans 3, and it's abundantly clear. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it continues, and it describes it a little further. If we backtrack a little bit in Romans 3, 10 through 18. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. It's pretty bleak. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That statement right there summarizes everybody who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that's the summarization of Romans 1, 2, and 3. Everyone's guilty. Apart from Christ, you have no basis. You can't take your bill of receipt before God on judgment day and say, Hey, I paid it. I paid $189. I'm good. That's, that's not how it works. And so, how do we deal with our sin? How do we... Do with our sin. How can we pay for it? Can we get our debit card out? Our debit card of good works and self-righteousness? Is that how we pay for our debt? I paid for my debt with my card and now I'm debt free. But eternally speaking, spiritually speaking, how do we pay for our sin? What is man's typical response to that question? What, What do they typically do? Well, typically men try to appease God. They try to, they try to get good with God by trying to be good enough. And they try to earn His favor by doing good things. And, and, and actually, I think what people try to do is they try not to do bad things. They try not to do bad things. That's what people try. Well, I'm just not going to do bad things and that's going to make me be good. You know, when, when you sin, you don't sin, your sin is because you're a sinner. It's the root of your heart. Sinners sin. And so that's what people that are, that are not saved, they don't see that picture. They feel like if I, if I try to not be bad, and I try to restrain the desires of my heart to do things that are not good and are sinful, then God's going to be pleased with me. And there's only one means for God to be pleased with us, and it's through the blood of Jesus. That's the only way that we can stand approved, debt-free, no penalty, no debt, is through the blood of Jesus. And that's God's solution. So that's the question. So look, we have some homework that we have to do. And what, what I want to do is, is I want to establish, establish why it is that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to do what I'm telling you it can do. All the, all the songs that we sung, the scripture we read in Hebrews 10, declared bold truths that it's through the sacrifice of Jesus' blood that we are provided access to God and forgiveness of our sins. And so I... I want to prove that to you through scripture. I want you to see it in God's word. So let's do some, let's do some work here. Let's look at 
Leviticus 17, 14. It says, for the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature. For the life of every creature is its blood. And so we see in scripture that the blood is what makes us alive. It makes us alive. It's what gives us vitality. Without blood, we have no life, right? Blood is to the body what oxygen is to the lungs. If you don't have oxygen, you don't, you can't breathe and you have no life and you die. And blood is what, uh, is what, it is what oxygen is to the lungs. It's life. It keeps us alive. Blood also is, is, is a purifier. Blood, blood purifies the toxins that are in our body. And so blood acts as a purifier. That's what it means that the life of the flesh is in the blood. This is, this is what makes blood significant in scripture. And God established a way to deal with sin and he established an order and a pattern, and it's through blood, through the shedding of blood. Blood is a cleansing agent. And as we said earlier in Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. And so there had to be a way to pay for the wages of sin. And God chose to use the picture of blood and the sacrifice of blood to do that. And now let's look at what Scripture says. Let's look at Hebrews nine twenty two. It says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, if we look back into the Old Testament, God established a pattern of the shedding of blood to be what would be the atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel. And there was continual sacrifices day after day, year after year, that would atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. Of Israel, And he set a pattern for them. And that pattern goes all the way back to the, to the beginning. And there's four accounts. There's four, four accounts in the Old Testament that I, I want to talk about that demonstrate God's pattern for dealing with sin. The first account is Adam and Eve in the garden. We all, most of us know the story, right? Adam and Eve are in the garden. And God gives them the command. You can eat of... Any fruit in the entire garden, but of the fruit from this tree, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat. And he said, don't touch it even, lest you die. Don't go anywhere near it. And so you know what happens. Satan comes in the form of a serpent, slithers up to Eve. She's by herself, hanging out in the garden, getting too close to the tree. And the serpent comes and says, did God really say that you couldn't eat from this tree? Begin to try to cast doubt in her mind that God's words are true. And she, she saw, it says she saw with her eyes that the fruit was pleasant and good to eat. She took it and she ate it and she said, Adam, come over here. I'm not dead. Come and look. Nothing happened. God must not be telling us the truth. I'm not dead. I'm still alive. It tasted really good. You need to eat it. So Adam ate it and they both, all of a sudden, scripture says they knew that they were naked. It says their eyes were open, the knowledge of good and evil. They knew instantly that they were naked. And it says that they were ashamed. And what did it say that they did? It says that they, they took fig leaves, the fruit of the ground, and they covered their nakedness. And if you fast forward, after God gives them the curse because of their fall, because of their rebellion against what God said, after, the, after he gives them the curse and says that, that, that Eve, you're going to be cursed in childbearing, there will be pain now, the, the, the fruit of the ground, the ground's going to be cursed, you're, 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 you're going to have to work the ground to provide for yourself, and Adam, you're going to have to sweat 
to earn a living. And all the men say, thank you, Adam, for doing that, right? We got to sweat to earn a living. And then after he curses them because of their rebellion and disobedience against him, what does he do? In verse 21, in Genesis 3, it says that God took skins of animals and he clothed them. He removed the fig leaves, the fruit of the ground, and he covered them with skins of animals. So in Genesis 3, it's the first picture of a sacrifice, a shedding of blood for the covering of sin. And then if you go on a little further in Genesis 4, you have the story of Cain and Abel. And what happened there? God had established in Genesis the covering of sin and rebellion by the sacrifice of an animal. And it says that Cain and Abel went to bring an offering to God. And what did Cain bring? Fruit of the ground. Just like his mom and dad brought the fruit of the, they they covered themselves with the fruit of the ground. Cain brought the fruit of his labor, the fruit of the ground to offer it to God. But Abel brought the best of his animals to sacrifice to God in an offering. And God's word says in Genesis 4 that God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. Because it was in alignment with God's established order of how to deal with sin and how to atone and cover sin. And so we know the story. Cain, he was angry because God was pleased with Abel and Cain killed Abel. Then you see Abraham and Isaac. Further on in Genesis, and you see the story there, God tells Abraham, I'm, I'm going to test you, and, and I'm going to test you by asking you to, to sacrifice your son Isaac. And so, at, Abraham talks to Isaac, they go up to the top of the mountain, and Abraham, his devotion to God was to the point that he was willing to obey God and sacrifice his son. And, and, and I, want you to, I want to say this at this point, God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his son. It was always God's intention to provide a substitute. And that's exactly what happened. When Abraham raised the knife, the Bible says in Genesis that there was a ram caught in the thicket. And the angel from heaven spoke and said, Abraham, stop. Do not harm your son. For God has provided a substitute. And again, it's, it's another picture of how God has chosen to deal with sin through the sacrifice of blood. To atone and to cover for sin. And Abraham, that day, he prayed and praised God and he he said, for God has provided a substitute. And then you have one of the most famous pictures of a substitute lamb. It's the story of the Passover lamb. God has, God has spoke through Moses and through, and through Aaron to Pharaoh and Pharaoh has not listened and he's not released the children of Israel and God has sent nine plagues. To the children of Israel. And God says, I'm sending a tenth plague. And I want you to warn Pharaoh about this plague. That on, on this day, that if they do not let you go, I'm going to send this plague. And I'm going to kill all the firstborn of the sons of the nation of Egypt. And so God instructs the nation of Israel. And he tells them, he says, I want you to take a spotless lamb, a Passover lamb, a spotless lamb. Sacrifice that lamb. Put the blood over the doorpost of your house. And when... I, God, send the death angel over the nation of Egypt and kill the firstborn. You will be protected. And that's why that lamb was called the Passover lamb. God's judgment passed over the nation of Israel because they obeyed God and sacrificed an innocent lamb. It's a picture of how sin is dealt with. All of these are pictures and shadows of what was to come. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of these types and shadows. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the ram caught in the thicket. Jesus is, Jesus is the sacrifice that Abel offered. Jesus is the, the skins of animals that God put on Adam and Eve. Jesus is the fulfillment of those types and those shadows and those pictures. And the book of Hebrews walks us through, the book of Hebrews walks us through why Jesus' blood as a fulfillment of those pictures is satisfactory and sufficient to deal with sin. And, and again, we're going to continue our homework here, so hang in here with me. We're going to look at a few scriptures in Hebrews that, that parallel the old covenant sacrificial system to atone for sin and Jesus' sacrifice. In Hebrews 8, 6 and 7, it talks about the difference between the old covenant, which is temporary, and the new covenant, which is permanent. Hebrews 8, 6 and 7 says, says this, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. If it was still okay for us to sacrifice animals, Jesus never needed to come. But God did away with that old covenant and established a new covenant. Hebrews 9, 23 through 24 talks about how the old covenant is a shadow and Jesus is the reality. In verse 23, it says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, like the priest did in the Old Testament, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. The third picture, Hebrews 7, 26 and 27, contrasts the sinful priest in the Old Testament who were sinful and the sinless priest in Jesus. Hebrews 7, 26 and 27 says this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy. Who is Jesus? Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He was different than the old priests. They were sinful. They were imperfect. And this is why Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. It's because he's innocent. He's holy. He's unstained. He's separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Then we look again in Hebrews 7, a contrast between a limited priesthood and a forever priesthood. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25 says this. It says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented, listen, by death from continuing in office. The priest would die. How could they, how they, how could they continue to offer sacrifices? There had to be new ones that would be born and raised up. But he, who is he? Jesus holds his priesthood Say it with me. Permanently. Because he continues, say it, forever. Consequently, he is able. Oh, I man, that is so good. Because Jesus' priesthood is forever. Because of that, he is able to save to the, say it, uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives 
to make intercession for them. Oh, that's so good. It's not a limited priesthood. It's a forever priesthood. Hebrews 10 says this. It's a contrast between ongoing sacrifices and sacrifices no longer needed. This is what we read earlier during worship. Verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. It was only temporary. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? You're done. Sitting down. What do you do when you sit down? You're done. When you're cutting your grass, you're working hard, cutting your grass, what do you do when you're done cut, cutting your grass? It's finished. I'm done. And that's what happened with, when Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood. It was a once for all sacrifice. He said, I'm sitting down because the work is accomplished. The priests before in the old covenant, they had the daily, every day, continue to sacrifice to atone for their sins and the sins of the whole nation. But God, Jesus, said, when I do a work, it's complete and finished and eternal. And I'm done because I'm God. It's a permanent sacrifice. Hebrews 9 talks about a one-year atonement versus eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, 12 and 14 says this. He entered once for all into the holy places, but not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing a what? Is your salvation eternal? When you become a Christian, is your salvation up for grabs? Can you lose it one day and get it back the next? Scripture right there says that the blood of Jesus secures an eternal redemption, not a temporary redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen? Amen. Jesus' blood is sufficient. The point, this is a quote from John Piper. The point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ, God's son, has not just come to fit into the earthly system of priestly ministry as the best and final human priest. But he has come to fulfill and put to an end that system, and to orient all of our attention on himself ministering for us in heaven. The Old Testament tabernacle and priests and sacrifices were shadows and glory to God. Now the reality has come and the shadows pass away. Amen? Amen? Amen. So think about this. You guys ever, you ever been lost in the grocery store as a kid? I remember some times in my life being lost in the grocery store as a kid. And I remember thinking, you've been raised in a Christian church, heard about the rapture. You're lost for a little while. You're like, oh, shoot, I'm going to walk around. I'm going to find my, my mom's clothes laying around and she's going to be gone. The rapture happened. I'm going to miss the rapture. I remember I cried. There was real tears that I would cry because I would think I, I missed the rapture because I couldn't find my mother. So think about how, the difference between the shadow and the reality. You're that lost kid in the grocery store and you're walking around. And, and you walk around an aisle and you see a shadow. And man, it looks like your mom's shadow. And you're crying tears. Are you satisfied with the shadow? Is the shadow good enough for you 
to satisfy your heart, to complete you and fulfill you. No, you, you need the hug. You need the reality of your mother's arms embracing you. And what the book of Hebrews tells us is that Jesus is the reality of your mother's arms embracing you. His once for all sacrifice, what, listen, was an embrace on humanity and said, come and receive the eternal sacrifice that I have offered for you. It's the reality. It's not the shadow. And all the pictures we see in the Old Testament are, are shadows and types that point to the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. The reality, the embrace of a holy God. Amen? The blood of Jesus is sufficient. And that's the theme of this message. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. It's enough. It's enough. Jesus plus nothing is everything. The blood of Jesus is enough. Not the blood of Jesus and good works. Not the blood of Jesus and church attendance and, and paying tithes. It's the blood of Jesus plus nothing is everything. It's sufficient. That's what it means that the blood of Jesus is sufficient. So what is the blood of Jesus sufficient to do? The blood of Jesus is sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God. First John 2, 2 says this. It says, he... Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What does that word propitiation mean? It's a difficult word. That word propitiation simply means satisfaction. So Jesus is the satisfaction for our sins. His blood that he spilled on the cross satisfied the wrath of God. The wages of sin is what? It's death. The wrath of God falls, will fall on all those who have not received the blood of Jesus as a satisfaction for their sins. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to satisfy that wrath. First John 4, 9 and 10 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. It's not about our works, right? It's not that, it's not that we love God that he loves us. That he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction, the propitiation for our sins. Jesus, his, sa- his sacrifice is sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God that is due us. What's the second thing the blood of Jesus is sufficient to do? It's sufficient to provide forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7 and 9 says this. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Forgiveness. It's done. Paid in full. Through his blood. According to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. The blood of Jesus is is sufficient to forgive us of our sins. When we place our faith in his finished work. Some of you right now, you, you feel guilty. You have a guilty conscience. And I want you to know that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to give you peace in your heart. Forgiveness of your sins. You can rest at night knowing because you place your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus' blood that you are forgiven. 
And it's not a one-year atonement. It's not just a simple covering. It's a washing away of all the guilt, all the shame, all the regret of your past. Completely gone. Gone. Forever. He remembers your sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, he remembers them no more. He removes them from you. That's what the blood of Jesus is sufficient to do. Thirdly, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to make us righteous. His blood satisfies the wrath of God. It forgives us of our sins when we place our faith in him. And then thirdly, it makes us righteous. Romans 5, 8 and 9 says this, But God shows his love, shows his love in us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What does it mean to be justified by his blood? The word justified is a legal term. So it means that whenever you stand before the court, you don't bring a copy of the receipt that says paid in full because of what I did. You bring a copy of the receipt that says the blood of Jesus. And because of that, because his blood is is sufficient to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, then legally before a holy God, you stand justified before the court of heaven. And when you stand before God on the, on, 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 on the judgment seat on, on judgment day and God looks at you, he doesn't see your good works. He sees the blood of Jesus and you are justified. And then fourthly, as a result of that, you're free from the slavery to sin. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to free us from slavery to sin. Romans 6, 5 and 6 says this. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. How many of, how many of you have ever been enslaved to sin? You're powerless. You're powerless against the power of sin. But because of the blood of Jesus, when you place your faith in what he did on your behalf, by the shedding of his blood, you're forgiven, you're clean, you're made righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he sets you free from addictions, from chains, from bondage. That area of sin and weakness that you never thought you could get over, you can never never do away with, that temptation to lust, That temptation to greed, that temptation to gossip, those areas that have been bondages in your life. and You've been enslaved to sin because of what Jesus did. He paid the ransom and your chains are gone. You're free. You're no longer a slave to sin. That's through the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus. Fifthly, right along with this, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to make us brand new creations. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is one of my favorite verses right here. Verse 18. All of this, 
All of what? All this shedding of the blood, all this forgiveness of sins, all this saving business, all of this is from who? From God. God. If it was up to us to, to make ourselves new creations, to save ourselves, to, 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 to get over sin, to stop sinning, to be good enough, none of us could do it. Because what does Romans 3 says? We're all guilty. None of us are righteous. No, not one. We can't do it on our own. All this is from God, and this is why we praise him for the sufficiency of his blood. Because from him and by him and through him, we can be reconciled. And he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Sixthly and finally, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to destroy death's sting. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 56 says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take it back. Because the blood of Jesus is sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God. Then by faith in that blood, we can have forgiveness. And we can be righteous, new creations. And we can be free from the chains of sin that have held us bound. And because of all of that, now our eternity, as Pastor Derek was talking about, our eternity is secure. There's no more sting in death. Because I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that I'm justified in Christ. I know that my debt has been paid. I know that I'm forgiven because of what I've done in my faith by placing my faith in Jesus Christ. I know that I'm forgiven. And so when somebody that's in Christ dies, there's no more sting in death. Because we know that they're with the Lord forever in eternity. We know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no more sting in death. And that we have hope in eternity. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to do all of these things and to do more. And this is what we celebrate. This is why we worship. So in conclusion, I don't want to get back to my traffic ticket. I had to make a plea that day I had to make a plea and when that lady asked me she said what is your plea what do you plead and I had no I had no choice I had to plead guilty because I was guilty even if it was unintentional I was guilty I was speeding I broke the law so I had to make a plea and I pled guilty and everybody in this life has to get to that place If they're going to be right with God. You have to make a plea. What's your plea? Can't be your good works as we've already established. Can't be church attendance. It has to be at some time in your life you have to say guilty is charged. You got to circle guilty and you got to sign your name and say yes Lord I'm guilty. I stand before you as guilty as charged. Every person if they're going to be right with God has to make that plea. But there's another plea that we make. And I want to talk about what it means to plead the blood of Jesus. Because there's another plea that we make. And that word plead is a legal term. Just like justification is a legal term. That word plead is a legal term. The Webster's Dictionary of, of that definition of the word plead is to argue a case or cause in a court of law. 
to argue for or against a claim, to enter, to, to entreat or appeal earnestly. So that definition in mind, what does it mean to plead the blood of Jesus? You have your first plea, right? Guilty. I, I'm, not, I'm not righteous on my own. I'm guilty. And when you make that plea, we've already established what happens. You become righteous. You become right with God. But then there's something else that tends to happen in a Christian's life. The accuser starts showing up. He starts knocking on the door of your heart and in your mind. And he starts telling you that you're not righteous and that you're still guilty and that you're still slaves to sin. And so when the accuser comes, you you make a second plea. So this is what it means to plead the blood of Jesus. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. These were legal demands and it stood against me. And had I not paid the debt, I would have been prosecuted and had an even bigger fine. It says in Colossians 2, That because of what Jesus did, he forgave us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside and he nailed it to the cross of Christ. And so when the accuser of the brethren comes to you and he tells you, how do you plead? How do you plead? Are you guilty or not guilty? You take a a giant red X here and you show it to the accuser of the brethren and you say I plead the blood of Jesus on my behalf because of the sufficiency of his blood his blood is sufficient it was sufficient to cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness and all of my guilt and it wasn't because of what I paid it wasn't because of what I did it was because of what he did on the cross and that my friends is the gospel message That's the gospel. This is the power of the blood of Jesus. We stand secure and our hope is eternal because of the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus. And we praise him and we honor him and we worship him because of the blood of Jesus. Because his his blood never loses its power. And if you're a believer in, in Jesus Christ, you stand righteous and it's an eternal redemption. And those issues that you struggle with, those temptations that you still deal with, God's working those in you and out of you. He's faithful. When that accuser comes and says, because you messed up last week and you did this or you did that, you probably need to come back up here and get saved. That's a lie. When you get saved, you're saved. It sticks. Right? Salvation sticks. Salvation doesn't stick, then i got to get saved tomorrow. Because I'm probably going to do something after church. You know? Maybe I'll be rude to my wife a little bit. Maybe you will. I probably won't. But, but if, salvation, if salvation rests on my ability to maintain the law, Lord have mercy. We, 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 y'all, everyone should answer the call when I give the altar call this morning. Because y'all need to get saved again. When that accuser comes and talks to you and tells you that you are not righteous, you hold up. You hold up that bill, that debt, 
that you did owe and you draw that red X and you say no the blood of Jesus is sufficient I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus but if this morning if this morning you have not made a plea that first plea before God that you are guilty as charged you got to make that plea before you can be right with God and before you can talk to the accuser but this is what I want us to do I want you to stand to your feet this morning And I I just want us to sing a song of worship to God. I want us to honor Him and thank Him for His precious blood. I just want want you to hang around. It's it's only 11.30. Just hang around. I want to give people an opportunity after we sing to surrender to Christ. Just got a few more moments. The worship team is going to sing a song. Let's just close our eyes and worship the Lord and thank Him and praise Him for what He's done. forgiven. We thank you for that. Lord, I know that there are some here this morning but they have not honestly come before you and pled guilty yet. They've never by faith put their trust in the work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, I pray that you would tug on their heart this morning. Lord, I pray that you would touch them. 
and that they would today not let this opportunity pass by but that they would respond by faith to what Jesus has done so with every head bowed no one looking around just want to ask a question it's a simple question we ask it on most Sundays the question is this is that is that true of you what I just prayed is it true of you that you you don't know whether you're forgiven of your sins and that you stand righteous before God you've never made him the Lord of your life you've never by faith placed your trust in him and you've been trusting in your own good works to be righteous if that's you and you want to be saved this morning from your sin if that's you I want you to raise your hand is there anybody like that here this morning is there anybody God loves you he's drawing you he's calling you is there, is there anybody anybody like that yes thank you anybody else anybody else What, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray a, a prayer of acknowledgement of God as our Lord and Savior. And so, if it's in your heart, you raise your hand and you you know that that's you. I, I want you to pray that prayer in faith that Jesus is your Savior and you believe it and you want to do that today. I want you to pray that prayer in faith. And then after the service, after we dismiss, I want you to come and pray with me. I want you to come and meet me and the pastors will we'll be down here. If there's anybody that wants to do that to, to pray with us. So just repeat this prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on my behalf. To shed his blood. His incorruptible blood for me. I thank you that he took my place. My punishment my guilt and I thank you that now I can be forgiven by faith I place my trust in the finished work of Jesus I believe that Jesus lived died and on the third day rose again and I declare Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Amen. 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 Love you guys. You guys are awesome. Go today understanding and knowing that you are forgiven and you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and His blood is sufficient. See you guys next week.